hearts and minds in a heavy way. He had a really tough week. Uh, he's been very sick. But I will say this, um, with the uh, intensity and the amount of praying and Tammy's visiting personally with him, he's seen his numbers improve uh, over the last 24 hours. So let's continue to pray, ask for God's will, ask for God's healing, and let's watch God work in the lives of, of Nick and Tammy. With that in mind, I know some of you were able to come yesterday morning uh, to the sanctuary to pray. The sanctuary was opened up, and I know a special time of prayer was had by, and all of you may not have known about this, but from for a while, uh, the Roots have, have offered to open the sanctuary every Saturday morning until further notice from 9 to 12 for people to come and pray. For example, I know Jimmy and Pat Horn, who have not attended services because of the you know, the, the, the crowd, uh, they came yesterday and really enjoyed that special time of prayer. So there's a lot going on in the lives of people, in the lives of our nation. So in this particular season, we're going to do more of, uh, you know, intentional praying. Also, as you pray, don't forget Hazel Reeves uh, and the cancer that, that, she is, that she is fighting. I will inform you that my Uncle Roy, my dad's brother's uh, wife, died this week. They took her off of uh, the ventilator, and she passed peacefully and quickly. Uh, I think that was thir Thursday. So for my family, you know, things were looking hopeful. She got progressively worse really quick, and, and, and they made what I feel to be, you know, for her and, and for them and, and for, for God's will, the, be the best decision. So... Her funeral service will be next Saturday in, in uh, Petrie City. So please be in prayer for my uncle and, and our family as we mourn uh, the loss and celebrate the homegoing of, uh, of my aunt, our Aunt Billy. Um, continue to pray for Ronald Abner. The latest that I heard on him was good. He's been, he's been getting good, good reports. Uh, some of you may not know this, but Johnny Daniels' only sibling, his sister... Sandra Brown and her husband, they were found dead at a home on Lake Weedowie, apparently from a gas leak in the home. They found both of them dead. So I talked to Miss Patsy this morning. Their, their names were Verlis and Sandra Brown. Don't know any funeral arrangements. The son is still working on what that's going to look like and what that's going to be. So... Johnny and Patsy will not be here. Um, they also are staying away to, you know, to be safe. Let's just pray for them. And when I find out information on when that service will be, I know it'll be somewhere around Ranburn, Alabama, where they were from. Uh, let's pray for them. Ozell Gordon is Brooke's grandmother. We mentioned her last Sunday morning. Hospice has been called in, so let's continue to pray for, for Brooke and her family. Uh, with her grandmother's situation, Kyle's mom had a stroke. Apparently, a stroke, right? So Kyle was sharing that with me this morning. Um, so let's remember Kyle's mother. Uh, any other prayer requests? I hesitate to ask. I mean, it's uh, Warren.
okay? Ricky and Joey. Now, because of Nick's health situation, one thing we did decide is to postpone the deacon election. Nick is one of the, one of the men on that ballot. We're going to postpone that deacon election until a more appropriate time. So uh, we felt like that was the right thing to do out of love and respect to, to Tammy and Nick. Um, don't forget baby bottle boomerang is still ongoing, and our goal is to get those bottles back for the PRC next Sunday. We will have communion this morning, so I hope as you came in, you got a communion cup. I'll lead us personally through that at the end. If you did not get one, they're on the table out there, and you've got my permission to get up at any time and go, go get one so you can participate. Miss Yvonne? I think that's I think that's everything. Now, now, what I feel led to do today is that at the end of our service, after we take the communion, and when we open up our time of invitation, I want us to see that as a church family, as a special time to pray for Nick and Tammy, and also these other requests that have been mentioned. So that's going to be how we close our service. If you want to come here at the altar and pray, Pray. If you want to pray where you're seated, pray where you're seated. And we're not going to put any time limit on that. You pray with you know, your family where you are as long as you want to be here in the stillness and the quietness of worship and prayer. And then dismiss, leave, go to Sunday school, wherever you've got to go you know, when you feel led. So we'll let the Holy Spirit close the service t- today with, with you and your prayer situation. So I'm telling you that in advance so that you know, at the end... Uh, I guess I had not even mentioned it to, to Catherine or, or Joe and Judy. We'll just, we'll just close our service uh, in, in that particular way. And let's continue. When I get updates on Nick, I'm, I'm going to text. If you want to hear what those updates are, send me a text and I'll text you. You know, I'm just copying and pasting what Tammy's sending me without adding much at all to it, uh, if, if only for clarification. So let's worship. Let's stand and pray. I'm going to ask Kyle if he'll come. And Catherine, if she'll come, lead us in worship. Thank you for your love, your, your kindness, your companionship. God, um, well, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you, God, that, uh, that you sent Jesus to uh, take away the sins of the world, God. And I, I'm so grateful to be here today to worship you. There's... Uh, so many prayers that, that Neil mentioned that I, that I can't even remember. God, I, I pray that you, you would heal those that, that need to be healed and that you choose to heal, God, that you have the ultimate authority over everything. God, I pray that you would comfort those that need comforting and, um, and just be with them. God, I, I live up the whole request uh, list to you this morning, God, as we... Uh, look to you for our hope. God, and uh, these things I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Let's begin worship this morning by welcoming the Holy Spirit. Yeah. 
Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you so much for just allowing us to worship you freely this morning, God. Lord, we come to you with um, burdened hearts, God. We come to you with hearts that um, are desperate to be filled with your spirit, God. Lord, we come seeking your face this morning, Lord, and we proclaim how great you are, God. And Lord, you did send your son to the cross to bear our sin and sorrows, God, and Lord, that aspect never changes. The gift of grace and mercy you provide for us never changes, never falters, never never falls short, God. Lord, your love and grace and mercy cover us always, God. So, Lord, we're asking to feel your presence and your comfort this morning, God. Lord, as we, as we study your word and as we take communion and as we just commit time to pray as a church and a body of believers too, God. Lord, thank you for your promise that we're two or more gathered, God. You are, you are with us here, and you hear our prayers, God. Lord, just comfort us with your grace and comfort us with your peace, God. We love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be Amen. seated. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 4. Working our way through the Gospel of Luke, and every week has a new section that is very important in understanding the life and the ministry of Jesus. So today, in Luke 4, beginning with verse 16, we see as he begins his ministry, what his ministry is going to be like, what it's going to entail, and all the different responses to his particular ministry. We are seeing that he is the beloved son of God. He's been through the temptation. Previously he was anointed at his baptism with the Holy Spirit. As the Spirit descended like a dove. And now, following his time of tempting and testing in the wilderness for 40 days, he goes into active ministry. This shows us that the Son of God... Uh, the only begotten beloved Son of the Father will be known by what He will not do, but He also will be known by what He will do. Isn't it interesting that you can know us by what we won't do, but by also what we will do? I was reminded this week of the story of the young man who went to be interviewed uh, with the church for church membership. And as the pastor and leadership team pressed upon this young man what he believed, he was a bit evasive. And they would say, well, what do you believe uh, about the, the church? And he says, well, I believe what the church believes. And then they asked him, well, what does the church believe? He said, they believe what I believe. <laughs> and then they says, well, what do you and the church believe? He says, we believe the same thing. <laughs> So sometimes we need clarification on, 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 on what we will not be and what we will not do, but also on what we will be and we will do. In other words, not to be known just for what we're against, but do you ever want to ask people, what are you for? <laughs> you know, that some, some people, it, it feels to me, would, would vote against anything that anybody else would be happy about. They'd vote against the wheel, you know, if it was presented up for, for vote, if, you, if you've ever heard that. So anyway, let me get to the text, and I'll quit being silly. Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 16. 
And man, as, as we look at our prayer request this morning, what a beautiful, needed passage this is. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. This is a scroll, okay? And he opened the book and he found the place where it was written. And this is Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set free those who are downtrodden. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He closed the book. He gave it back to the attendant. He sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And they were all locked in on, on Jesus. And so he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him. And they were wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, apparently in amazement, Is this not Joseph's son? And Jesus said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me, quote, Physician, heal yourself. Now I found it interesting that Luke is a physician who's writing the gospel. Luke must have heard that proverb himself at times. Hey, doctor, <laughs> heal yourself if you're so smart, if you're so skilled, right? So that Jesus applies this to himself. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you in truth that there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. And when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. There were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet. None of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And all in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. My, what a turn, right? Earlier amazement and awe, and now they're angry. They are full of rage. And they rose up and they cast him out of the city. They led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he, he went his way. Father, thank you for a much-needed word from you concerning our human condition and what the effect of the, the fall and of sin has been on all of humanity. 
But you loved us and you sent your Son. And we see in this particular passage from Luke what his life and ministry was going to be about. Father, he puts into work your heart, your business, your plan. May we see our need for this. May we see our need to share love like this. And may we be grateful for what you have done on our behalf so that we might be saved and changed. Thank you, Father, for Jesus and his mission. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, what is the mission of Christ? If he's gone through the testing and the temptation and it's not going to be about power, it's not going to be about you know, a, 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 an instant glory and gratification and meeting the instant needs of himself and of others. What is the bigger plan? In other words, if man does not live by bread alone, then what does he live by? What is the something more? And in this particular passage, we see that the something more is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. The fall has created or has led to an environment of brokenness and pain and death and sin that in that particular culture people walk through and live through on a daily basis and we're still in it today. So you and I live in an environment in which the ministry of Isaiah 61 is is a reality and, and it is a great need. So what I'd like to do in our passage today is, is say four clear things about the mission of Jesus. I want us to see first that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the anointed one of God. I want us to see second that Jesus is the messenger of God. Let's look at his message. Then he's, he has a ministry. He is a minister. And last of all, Jesus is a mystery. There's a mystery about Jesus that is unfolding that in this particular passage we may not see yet. First, Jesus the Messiah. Who is he? Isn't it amazing that Jesus went to church on a regular basis? It says in verse 16 that this was his custom. So he goes into the Sabbath and he stands up to read. And I struggled this week. Did he pick out the text or was the text handed to him? You know, we've had deacons read in the past and most weeks, I would assign them a particular passage to read that re- related to the sermon. And in most situations, the, the deacon said, you know, I, I can do that. Or there may be a rare occasion where I say, hey, you know, I, I don't have anything. You, you pick whatever God leads you to pick. So I don't know, and commentators disagree, but most commentators side with the fact that Jesus intentionally chooses Isaiah 61. That's kind of where I ended up landing With this particular question. So Jesus Messiah. Here's why. In verse 18 he says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then he says in verse 18. He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And when in verse 21 when he says. Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is saying that he is the fulfillment of of that anointed suffering servant who will will bring into fruition and into place all the messianic promises of God. 
We may not feel the weight of that statement, but, but let's, let's cut to the chase. Jesus here is claiming not to be an ordinary prophet, an ordinary teacher, or an ordinary man. He is claiming in this text to be God. He's claiming in this text to be the Messiah anointed by God who fulfills all the Old Testament hopes that were put upon the prophet, the Messiah. So all of, all of the weight of the Old Testament is on this particular moment is what that means. And so at, at, at the beginning here, the people are, are, are warming up to this idea, but they don't yet fully understand what God's purpose for the Messiah would be and what God's plan for the Messiah would be, nor what nature or form his ministry would be, nor to whom it would be. <laughs> So they're still in process of understanding this. Jesus obviously already knows. But, but he earlier had a divine commissioning. At the baptism. The Spirit descends like a dove. His ministry will be like the dove's ministry. It will be gentle and it will be sacrificial. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But the main thing I want to make in passing with this particular point is that Jesus is the Messiah... And there is no middle ground with Jesus because if you or I or any other preacher, teacher, prophet would stand up and claim to be what, what Jesus claims to be in verse 21, there would be no neutral ground in relationship to that person. And what I mean by that is if someone shows up claiming to be God, claiming to be Messiah, claiming to be the fulfillment of all the Old Testament pro promises, that person is either right or they're crazy. Who does he think he is? He's going to be the one to fulfill all the Old Testament promises of the Messianic kingdom and all that would be? So we're back to what C.S. Lewis said again. There's no neutral ground with Jesus. This is not a neutral passing comment that we could just brush off. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else he's a madman, or else he's something worse. There is no neutral ground with Jesus. And the question we keep coming to when we come to the New Testament is this. Is he the Son of God? Is he the Messiah? Or is he not? And every week, Luke is giving us more and more proof that Jesus clearly is the anointed one, the Messiah, sent from God to save us. He is the Word of God made flesh and dwelling among us. He is our only hope. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father but through Him. This is an exclusive claim to deity and to, to, to saviorhood, for lack of a better term. The second thing I want to point out is he's also a messenger. Not only is he the Messiah, but the Messiah has, has a message to preach. There's a message to proclaim. Notice as he reads Isaiah 61, he's anointed by the Spirit to preach the gospel, the good news, to the poor. He has been sent to proclaim release to captives. In verse 19, to proclaim 
that this is going to be a good time and a good season, the favorable year of the Lord. It's like standing up and saying, hey, 2020, bad news. 2021, this is going to be a favorable year of God's grace and God's work. So he is proclaiming a message of good news, and, and, and they take it as good news uh, from the very beginning at, at first until they understand some of the implications of what he's saying. But there's, there's something important here in what Jesus reads from Isaiah 61 that he leaves out. So have an advance notice of what I was going to preach. If you, if you turn back to Isaiah 61, and we could do that for just a minute. I'll do it for us if you want me to do the legwork here. Most commentators believe that when he talks about the, the year of God's favor, that he's making a connection to the year of Jubilee. If you want to know about the year of Jubilee, it is an amazing good time. In Leviticus chapter 25, listen to what the favorable year of the Lord was according to the scriptures. Once every 50 years, all debts are canceled. Man, that sounds like good news, doesn't it? That is good news. All debts canceled. All slaves were set free. God's time is here. It's a new time, a season of generosity and grace and kindness. The poor, if they wanted and could, were given an opportunity to buy back land that they had, that they had lost. It's an amazing time that, that the Messiah was ushering in. It's a, it's a season of grace. That's why later on in the New Testament you find people like the Apostle Paul saying, now is the time of God's grace. Today is the day of salvation. Let's not presume on the fact that this is going to last forever, the opportunity to believe and be saved and receive forgiveness and new life in Christ. Back to what Jesus intentionally left off. Look at Isaiah 61.2. He says, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord... And the day of vengeance of our God. He leaves off the day of vengeance. Why does he do that? Because that day is yet to come. The day of judgment is going to come. That time is coming. But for now we have the good news of God's grace being offered through Christ to God's people. So there's good news to the poor... <laughs> There's freedom to the captives. There's recovery of sight to the blind. The downtrodden and broken will be set free. And grace and kindness and generosity is upon us and offered to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Does this sound like good news to you? It certainly does to me. But I think one of our struggles from the beginning is to know that this applies to us. Because oftentimes when I've read this text and I've read about the poor and I've read about the captives and I've read about the blind and the broken, I've thought to myself, that is a beautiful message for other people. Because we come into contact with the poor and the needy and the blind and the broken and the captive both literally and 
spiritually, figuratively. But then the longer I live, and the more I parent, and the more I pastor, and the more I try to grow as a disciple, I realize that the first audience that he's talking to here is me. And this good news becomes better news when I become desperate for it, when I realize how poor I am, when I realize how blind I am. And I'm honest with myself, and I realize how captive to sin that I have been. And as a church in Revelation that God describes as poor, blind, wretched, naked, and miserable. And this is not just a message for other people, which it is. This is primarily, first and foremost, a message for me. And before I can ever really share the gospel in word and deed with other people, I've got to realize first that the other people is us. I mean, if you watch the show, and for a while I was kind of hooked on it, and now I'm not. This is us. Is that still on? <laughs> Pretty good when I watched it. This is us. Man, when I read this text, you know what I want to say? Y'all, this is us. This is us. This is good news for us. Now, several years ago, Jim Martin, y'all remember Jim Martin? A lot of you do. I I saw Jim Martin at Chick-fil-A this week. And then later in the week, a friend reminded me of a quote that Brennan Manning made about brokenness in our own lives, if we're honest about it. And I'd opened up, the quote was from the Ragamuffin Gospel, and I opened the, the book up, and it says, Dear Neil, thank you for being so forth and so on, love Jim Martin. <laughs> Jim Martin had given me this book. I was like, well, that's neat. I saw Jim Martin for the first time in you know, a while, and the quote that my friend reminded me of is from the book that Jim Martin gave me. That's just a little, little side bit here for us that I thought was at least interesting. But Brendan Manning has a wonderful book that Jim and I read together years ago called The Ragamuffin Gospel. I recommend it. Brendan Manning had a lifelong struggle, and I don't even I have I should have looked up where, where he is now, what's going on now. He may be passed already, I don't know. But because of a lifelong struggle with alcohol, it it, it led him to realize how broken he was. And and I want to read to you something that I was reminded of this week by another pastor friend who had quoted this weeks ago. Brendan Manning says this in the Ragamuffin Gospel When I get honest. And this, this is all about honesty with self. When I get honest, I admit I'm a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt. I hope and I get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I'm trusting and suspicious. I'm honest and I still play games. To live by grace means to acknowledge my whole life story, the the light side and the dark. In admitting my shadow side, I learn who I am and what God's grace means. Thomas Merton put it like this, A saint is not someone who's good, but someone who experiences the goodness of God. The gospel of grace nullifies our adulation of televangelists, charismatic superstars, and local church heroes. It obliterates the two-class citizenship theory operative in many American churches. For grace proclaims the awesome truth that everything is a gift. All that is ours is ours not by right, but by 
the sheer bounty of a gracious God. While there is much we may have earned, our degree, our salary, our home, our garden, a good night's sleep, all this is possible only because we've been given so much. Life itself, eyes to see, hands to touch, a mind to shape ideas, and a heart to beat with love. We have been given God in our souls and Christ in our flesh. We have the power to believe where others deny, to hope where others despair, to love where others hurt. This, this and so much more is a sheer gift. It's not reward for our faithfulness, reward for our generous disposition, or our heroic life of prayer. Even our fidelity is a gift. If we but turn to God, said St. Augustine, that itself is a gift of God. My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ, and I've done nothing to earn it and nothing to deserve it. What a tremendous statement that all of us should make if we realize that in verse 18 and 19 of Luke 4, Jesus is speaking to us. And that is crucial to grasp for the further aspects of discipleship and ministry. So Jesus is the Messiah and he's also the messenger who brings good news to those who are hurting and to those who are thirsting. Let's look at the third point. Jesus is also the minister. (laughs) Now this is an interesting point and this is the point I want to make. Not only does he proclaim the message... But he performs the message. Not only does he speak of these ideas and truths, but he embodies and puts into action these ideas and truths. And there is a huge difference. All of us are really good at imagining good ideas, speaking good ideas, posting good truths, voting for good ideals. But where we fall short is in the action and the execution, the actual ministry. (laughs) Years ago, we traveled to Ohio to do a sports ministry there. If you remember, we did sports camps in Ohio with a church up there. Um, Our idea was that when we get back home, we can do this at home. (laughs) You know the great works we did in Ohio? We can do those in our hometown. Kind of what this text was saying. So we came back, went to the local rec department, and we went to work. We had people signed up to do snacks, people signed up to do devotion, people signed up to do registration, people signed up to do all those great and wonderful things. But our statement began after a short period of time with the heat and the kids and all that entails. At some point, somebody's got to kick the soccer ball with the kids. we got to have somebody... To actually do the final product of what we're envisioning, right? I was tricked this week by an administrator in the Heard County School Systems who posted something on Facebook that I fell for and I fall for these all the time. You may have seen it. There were five frogs. (laughs) They were sitting on a log and four of them decide to jump in the water. How many frogs are left on the log? <laughs> Duh, one. Four jump in the water? That's not what it said. <laughs> it said that four decided to jump in the water. It didn't say they jumped in the water. 
So the answer was all five are still on the log. Why? Because it didn't say they jumped. It said they decided to jump. Ah, there's the rub. We have great ideas and intentions and good decisions. But at some point, somebody has to perform the action. All I want to say is Jesus is the minister who performed the action. His actions toward the poor. Think about how he changed Zacchaeus' heart. And Zacchaeus then began to give all that he had stolen and taken away back to the poor people that he had robbed. Did Jesus help the poor there? Absolutely. And he helped the poor in spirit, Zacchaeus. (laughs) Did he set some captives free? We're going to see very quickly in Luke, healings, exorcisms, and forgiveness of sin. Did he open the eyes of the blind physically? Absolutely. Did he open the eyes of the blind spiritually? Absolutely. We're going to see that. His actions toward the downtrodden, as he gets into later in this text. Did he minister to widows and lepers? Absolutely. He does for a widow the greatest thing that you could do for a widow outside of saving her soul, and that's raising her son back from the dead. Jesus is going to do that. He's going to touch a leper and cleanse his skin. In this particular passage, Jesus maps out his ministry. It doesn't just talk about it, but he actually ministers to the poor, the captives, the blind, the downtrodden, and then in his example and illustration, the widows and the lepers. I've got to move on. Because not only does he put into practice his ministry, but the scope of his ministry infuriates the hometown crowd. How did they go from being so welcoming to so hateful, so full of rage and passion that they're wanting to now kill Jesus? Well, when he talked about who this would be for, they're like the people who, man, I I was with you there, preacher, until you got to this point, and at this point, you lost me. (laughs) And it was a point of conviction. It was a point in which their framework of superiority was shattered. Because they're thinking, this is good stuff for us. This is comforting for us. Yeah, our people, we're good with the blessing of the kingdom and the Messiah coming for us. But Jesus says, I know your heart and you're wanting signs and works here at home like you heard about in Capernaum. But let me tell you something. God is here not just for you. God is here for the Gentiles. Oh boy. What shocking grace. Because the Israelites felt that they were entitled. They felt morally superior. They felt religiously superior. They felt racially superior. They felt superior in every category to those dogs, those Gentile scum, for lack of a better term. And you're telling us, and this is what those two parables made them angry, because Jesus says that God in His grace, if you look back at the true prophets, Elijah, and he bypassed all the widows in Israel to go to that woman. (laughs) There's a, Gina Kingston used to share a devotion about this woman. Where does it say she was from? 
and Elijah, there was a famine. Zarephath in the land of Sidon. You can read that in 1 Kings 17. The little cup of all. Remember that where the woman had the... She didn't have much, but, but, but Elijah was sent to her and she just kept giving and kept giving. And God kept filling her cup. And, and Elijah goes in there and he saves her son. And then they would know there was, there was a prophet there. And then same thing with, with, um, with Naaman and, and his leprosy. What was interesting about the woman inside and the widow and the leper is that they were Gentiles. They were Syrians. They were part of the hated group. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to do the miraculous grace and ministry to the Gentiles. And that made them furious. As someone has said, the t-ball coaches and the soccer moms of Nazareth... This mob got together to resort to kick God out of Nazareth. Where the first Adam got kicked out of Eden, his home, because of sin. The second Adam gets kicked out of his home, Nazareth, because of grace. Because of holiness. Is there a person that you imagine that you do not want God to be gracious toward for whatever reason? Or a people group that you do not want to be gracious toward or God to be gracious toward? Read the whole story of Jonah and Nineveh. That's what that whole story is about. Jonah not wanting to go to be gracious and share the gospel with people that he hated. It's the same root problem going on here and is still with us today. That is the ministry of Jesus. In its power and in its scope. i got to get to the end. There's a mystery. What is the mystery? Well, look at verse 30. What a mysterious moment. They go to throw him over the cliff. And he just escapes. He just moves through the crowd. There are several places in the gospel where they go to grasp Jesus and they think that they've got him. But he says, my hour has not yet come. Man could not seize and jam up and intervene and interfere with the sovereign plan, the mysterious plan of God with the Messiah. It was his hour, and they would not take his life from it. He would lay it down of its own accord. So man tries to do it, but man can't do it. What we learn from this is that in the great mystery of the gospel, it's God who is putting his son on the cross. It is God who is sending his son to this mysterious hour on our behalf. So when we ask who ultimately killed Jesus, we've said it before. Not Judas for greed, not Pilate for fear, not the Jews out of envy, but the Father for love. So here's what I want to say about the mystery of the gospel. Not only is this us, and not only is this other people, but Jesus himself, listen to this, I'm almost done. Listen to this. He became poor so that we might become rich. He went through ultimate darkness and despair on the cross so that we might have our eyes open to see light. 
He was bound and taken captive so that you and I could be set free. He was broken so that you and I might be healed. In just a few moments, I'm going to say, Jesus said, this is my body, which is what? Broken for you. He became poor, blind, and naked. He was treated as a leper. He was treated as a widow would be treated, cast out, marginalized, forsaken, so that you and I would never be alone. So when you look at Jesus and what he did for us, then that empowers gratitude and love to God for becoming what we, identifying with us and, and empathizing with us and becoming as we are so that we can become as He is, then that empowers empathy and ministry for others once you grasp that that's what God's done for you. Does that make sense at all? And sometimes it takes a life-transforming moment to do that. So I'm on the phone with my uncle. My uncle Roy, my dad's brother. He was so sick for two weeks that he couldn't really think about what to do with his wife and her situation on a ventilator in the hospital. Then as his mind began, began to clear and he began to understand, and, and they, they ultimately made that very difficult decision to take her off the ventilator and allow her to go on home to be with the Lord. He went into a little bit of the, and I'm not going to go into all of it, but he went into a little bit of the personal thinking that went behind his decision and being at peace with that decision. And what he says is, is Neil, that during my time of sickness, I began to be very grateful for the power just to breathe. Just to breathe. And we take for granted every day our capacity to take in and give out. And take in and give out. And he says, I imagine her suffering and continuing to struggle in her days leading up to and beyond. And, and what he was doing in that moment was, was empathizing in a way that he had never empathized with those who were hurting and suffering and struggling just to live. And it was his empathy and his understanding which helped guide him to make his decision. And of course, every situation is different. And every family's decision may involve different factors. But we always, always need to factor in empathy and understanding and compassion. Because that's exactly what the gospel is for you and me. It's God being broken so that the broken may be healed, so that we with His grace can go minister in the right way to people like Nick and Tammy, right? And all the other people who are on our prayer list. Let's pray and let's celebrate communion together, which is where Jesus talked to His disciples about this very thing. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your grace. Thank You for feeding us from the bread that is true food and true bread. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'll give us a moment here just to transition to...
a passage in Corinthians which talks about the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. You talk about the bread of life, which we feed upon that is more than, than physical and it's spiritual. Tell you what, let's do this. Go ahead and peel back that top layer. Let's go ahead and take out the wafer. We all do this together. We have this in common. Paul says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they did eat. Amen. Thanks be to God for the body of Christ. Also, if you'll peel back the next layer. We also have the cup. Which reminds us of his blood that was shed for the remission of our sins. Setting captives free from the burden of the guilt of sin. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And they did drink. So Jesus was offering a new covenant, a new day, a new season, a new year, a new time and era through the gospel. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's stand. Uh, Catherine is going to lead us in the song, Take Time to Be Holy. We're going to take time right now, among other things. If you have decisions and requests, of course, we're still here. But let's use this as a time of prayer. If you need to leave at any point, obviously, you certainly may. If you want to stay as long as you want to stay, you let the Lord lead you. But let's, let's spend this time praying for Nick particularly and many of the other needs in our church. The altar is open. I encourage you to come pray if you feel led or you pray where you are so that we can safely still social distance, which is something we need to continue to be aware of and, and take very seriously. But I'm just going to ask Catherine to lead us in singing. And then when she's done singing, we're still open. And you leave, you know, as the Lord leaves. But this, this, this will conclude our service at this time. Catherine, will you lead us in this song, please?
Just said, like, Father God, Lord, I just thank you for Tammy and Nick, God, and just the ministry they both serve to this church, God. Lord, I thank you for Tammy's faithfulness in the sound booth, God. And Lord, I just know that she's dependent on her church family right now, God. So, Lord, I pray that today she just feels the prayers of her family covering her and giving her peace, God. Lord, give her clarity of mind and just a straight direction, God, of, of um, heart choices, God. Lord, we pray that you will be Jehovah Rapha in Nick's life, God, and we pray a miraculous healing specifically for his lungs and his kidneys, God. Lord, I pray that his blood oxygen level will stay up, and I pray that his blood pressure will maintain, God. Lord, I pray that this will only be a testimony you've put in their life, God, to further bring you glory and honor. Lord, I lift up Casey and um, Katie, God. Lord, draw them close to you during this time. 
Lord, let them be there with Tammy, God. And Lord, all the ones in our church who are hurting and who are sick, Lord, we just know that you're in control and we thank you for that. May your will be done, God. And Lord, just have your way. We love you and praise you and thank you. Amen.